Welcome to Kano Daily Podcast with your host Anastasia Yaglova. This episode is for Friday, March 23rd. Yesterday at the Cato Institute, Reason Magazine senior editor Brian Doherty spoke about his new book, Radicals for Capitalism, A Freewheeling History of the Modern American Libertarian Movement. Brian is our guest on the show today, but please note that this podcast is in no way a substitute for actually reading and absorbing the almost 700-page tome, which is chock full of memorable anecdotes and useful history about everyone who helped craft the ideas that shaped the libertarian movement today. Brian, let's just start with the obvious question then. Why this book? I had been a believer in libertarian ideas for many years. Actually, my book was born right at the Cato Institute. I was working here in the early 90s, just sort of talking over libertarian history and gossip, as young libertarians like to do, and we realized there was no authoritative source that traced the history and stories of the people who had advocated these ideas, and especially in the American context, where these ideas really are at the heart of the American founding. The Declaration of Independence is one of the most libertarian documents around. It seemed a real shame that there was no one who had told their stories and the stories of the things they had accomplished in America in the 20th century, and I decided to try to do it. And 10 years later, uh, here it is. So this book has been a decade in the making. What was the research for it like? About a third of it consisted of interviewing for anywhere from two to 12 hours over 100 people who had lived through and made libertarian history, libertarian think tankers, politicians, philosophers, economists, people who had known all of the above. So a lot of interviewing, a lot of reading some very obscure small circulation magazines, which was about the only place libertarian ideas got circulation in the 60s and 70s. And a lot of archival work. Uh, luckily, the papers of many prominent libertarians have been archived at places like the Hoover Institution, the Foundation for Economic Education, the longest lasting libertarian institution still has all of its papers. Those were very helpful as well. Murray Rothbard's papers at the Ludwig von Mises Institute. And everyone personally was extremely helpful. The whole libertarian world recognized the need for a book like this. And many people were very open about allowing me to just dredge through their own stuff. Now that you're privy to this long view of libertarian history, how successful would you say the movement has been in popularizing its ideas and implementing them in policy? Popularizing and implementing, I'm glad you use both of those words because there's a different answer for both of them. In terms of popularizing, I would say it's been a tremendous success and the kind of success that would have really surprised the people who were pushing these ideas in the 40s and 50s when they really could number themselves in the dozens the word movement is almost a misnomer for the libertarian movement back then. It was more like a gang. There were so few of them. They all knew each other. And the rest of the world was extremely – not only didn't care about libertarian ideas, was very hostile to them. And that's totally changed. Libertarianism is well understood as a acceptable part of the political landscape, though not yet widely embraced. We have hardcore libertarian thinkers in positions of influence in the mass media, from John Stossel at ABC to uh, Tyler Cowen writing a column for The New York Times to Virginia Postrel at The Atlantic, the Cato Institute, the institutes like this that actually tried to affect the policy world as opposed to just educating about liberty didn't even exist until the 70s. And now it's a you know, 20 million and more a year organization, very influential, both in the mainstream media and Congress. Absolutely, the spread of the ideas, the movement's been a great success. But when it comes to implementing them in policy, not so much. I'm not sure I have authoritative reasons as to why that is. I didn't really try to answer that question in the book. But one thing that strikes me is that it may well be that even when exposed to the ideas, most Americans are not yet ready to accept them. The wealth of modernity and the wealth that even the restricted 
market capitalism that we live in has created has made for a pretty wealthy and happy culture, and especially the vast middle class probably isn't too up for the idea of massive changes in the way things are. I think we are going to see that change as the 21st century rolls on. I think it's very likely we'll see that some of the constitutive elements of big government in the 20th century, the entitlement state, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, are going to come to a mathematically predictable end. And I think then that the work that libertarians have done in setting forth the ideas that can show a path out, like the way Cato did with Social Security privatization, the way that Reason Foundation, where I work, is done with privatizing municipal functions, the ideas will be there, they make sense, and hopefully they will be adopted when big government hits its inevitable crisis. See, I'm skeptical that a truly libertarian world as you and I would have it be is even possible. Politicians win elections by promising what they can do for voters because constituents want to hear about getting things done, while a libertarian candidate runs on a platform that promises voters precisely nothing, and I don't think voters are interested in that. That is absolutely an enormous difficulty for pushing libertarian ideas in the political arena. What I think we're going to see, though, and great libertarian thinkers from Milton Friedman to Murray Rothbard recognize this, that what the movement's goal had to be was not so much to necessarily convert everyone to believing in libertarian ideas for the same reasons libertarians believe in them, like accepting the entire philosophical package, but merely explaining when big government programs stop working as we believe they inevitably will, that will have set forth the ideas that people can adopt as tools, even if they don't necessarily believe in them for the same reason that a philosophical libertarian does. My colleague Tom Palmer disagrees with you in his reaction essay at Cato Unbound about whether people actually need to want a libertarian world in order to create a libertarian world. In other words, he's saying that libertarianism is not the only way to achieve liberty. It's not the only way, but I do think it's a very effective way. And Tom, I think, is actually a great example of this. Tom has done marvelous, specific, active efforts for liberty, many of which he writes about in that entry you mentioned. But he did it because he was inspired as a young man by the larger libertarian vision. We can achieve many libertarian goals piece by piece. We could, for example, convince people that we have to privatize Social Security merely on technical grounds without them believing in the whole libertarian package. But the whole libertarian package is a marvelous way of inspiring people to make efforts in a libertarian direction. And even the the sort of zaniest and most outrageous of the characters who I write about in my book, like, say, Robert Lefebvre, who believed not only in not initiating force, he believed you shouldn't even use retaliatory force. Kind of really out there, but he inspired, for example, a couple of young men named Charles and David Koch, who became incredibly important in their philanthropic efforts supporting libertarian ideas. So I do believe that the radical passion of the hardcore libertarian can be an important, though perhaps not a necessary, element in turning the world in a libertarian direction. If we don't have to be that radical, if we can be a little bit more progressive and not as doctrinaire about our ideas, then what do you think about Brink Lindsay's call for a democratic libertarian alliance? I think that it's very vital that people who want a libertarian world aim their efforts at social change and their efforts at political change in the place where they are most comfortable doing it. I would never dream of centrally planning a libertarian effort. I think Brink is particularly well-suited to try to do this, though I will note that so far it seems that the Democrats have not been so willing to accept Brink's offer. They seem to feel that certain elements of the entitlement state are non-negotiable elements of modern democratic liberalism. I think 
think they will come to see in the decades to come that they can't hold fast to that. And I do think there is some hope that they will recognize the common classical liberalism, the belief in individual autonomy, belief in liberty that lies behind both modern libertarianism and to some extent behind modern liberalism. And I hope it can work. I'm not in the prediction game. I will say it doesn't look too good so far, but I do think the political circumstances, especially when it comes to the entitlement state, are going to change radically in the next two decades. You know, what's interesting, all the user-generated content we're seeing on the internet now, and I mean YouTube, Second Life, open-source software, it's all been very successful, and it's a libertarian kind of success. Why not look to the internet as an example of how society can be organized? That's absolutely a great example, and it makes a great sort of proselytizing tool, especially for young people who are so immersed in that world. They're living, the whole net world is absolutely very libertarian in its functioning, and it is a beautiful metaphor and hopefully an effective way to help people understand how decentralized decision-making, openness and communication can create a world that is not a chaotic mess, not out of control, but actually a livable and, and very lovable in how varied and exciting it can be. The majority of support for the Cato Institute's work comes from individuals, and Cato depends solely on tax-deductible contributions to provide the public with a wealth of free resources, including this podcast. We hope you'll consider supporting or even joining Cato. For information, please go to www.cato.org.